Welcome, welcome, welcome into a tu- uh, Tuesday, Wednesday edition of Caleb and Kenny, which almost shortchanged myself there. Wednesday edition of Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Happy National Signing Day to college football fans out there. Uh, if anything crazy happens, we'll keep you posted throughout the show. I know signatures already rolling in. Remember remember the, the facts the fax machine, this was like its last bastion. Yeah, of- well, the faxes started coming in for National <laughs> Signing Day. I was thinking about that because uh, I have Twitter up and, you know, that you can start committing at 7 o'clock or signing. Uh-huh. And this used to be like one of the biggest days on the calendar for me when I was just obsessed with, with recruiting, college football recruiting is, oh my gosh, what what's going to happen today? Is everybody going to sign that's supposed to sign? And when we were, I was so in-depth in following Notre Dame recruiting, I'm thankful that I'm no longer that invested in what teenagers decide to do. It's, it's healthy. It is, it is absolutely healthy. So I know some people, it's still a big deal. I get it. It's a lucrative business for sure. I'm just glad I'm not um, locked in like I used to be on a day like this. And as always, the number one rule for signing day or recruiting in general is just don't tweet at recruits. Yes, don't don't be an adult. Tweet at kids. You're you're disturbing. I never did that, thankfully. A positive or negative. Yeah, that's but that's next level. There's plenty of people out there that have or do. All right, with that public service announcement, we can start today's show and we have a lot to dive into. IU with the incredible rally. Oh, wait. I'm getting word that it was actually against Moorhead State. Oh, yes. uh, Not that impressive. Uh, We'll get to that after headlines. Uh, The Colts have some suspensions that they announced, but I don't think it'll be that big of a deal. And the in-season tournament hangover is real. All that to come this hour of the show. Also, in hour number two, last night's escape due to an off-season of IU errors or just a Kansas hangover. We'll debate that. Plus... Uh, the Colts catch another huge break with upcoming matchups. And Coach Kurt Signetti is building at IU football. Are we buying or selling the hype? Plus, a Taco Bell tiff in downtown Indianapolis. Really? Yes. Hmm. I, I saw some headlines about this, but I don't know the entire story. So. Yeah. Well, Saturday is, is going to be an interesting day hmm. between two franchise owners of Taco Bells in downtown Indianapolis. Ooh. Can't wait to find out what's going on there. <laughs> All right. With that, uh, our text line open for you at 46862. Again, 46862. That is how you can reach us. Just put in CK before your message. Uh, if you have a question, comment, rant, we accept all of the above. Let us know on the text line. And don't forget, you can always stream us at 1380thefan.com. That's free uh, via the 1380thefan app, which is my go-to. And uh, I was catching a little bit of high school basketball last night. We had a, a, a Tuesday night game. I oh, got some of that, Warsaw and Carroll. And then also on your smart speaker as well, which... Uh, do you have a smart speaker? No. I don't either. I do we're, we're a dumb home. The yeah, smart, yeah like, we are a dumb home. I, we we I have smartphones because yes. I, I feel like it's kind of hard not to these days. And we do have either smart TVs or... Uh, the TV in our bedroom is a former smart TV that became dumb. Oh, really? Because the smart function went Oopsie. kaput years ago. So we just added like a, a, a Roku to make it smart again. Yeah, so, we we don't have it. any smart. I think we have a smart. Actually, our bedroom TV is a smart TV. I don't know how smart it is, but it's an Amazon 
TV. So it uh, built in smartness. Mm. Apparently, <laughs> I have like a a uh, smart thermostat that's still Ooh. just sitting. We have a, I haven't installed. Oh, it yet. okay. Because I love the idea though. Several years ago, and now I'm like, eh, is it I, seriously, that great? me too. Because I got it, I was like, this is gonna be great. And then I opened the package, and like the booklet to install the thing is like an encyclopedia. And I'm like, ah. <laughs> but does it like connect with an app to your phone? So yes. You can, so you like, I love the idea for that. Yes, I just don't. I don't like the idea of me, especially in the winter time. I need to do it in the summer because if I screw something up, and then there's no heat. Ugh. I'm going to have to answer to it. Yeah. And have to call somebody to do it. I just don't want to put it myself in that position. I know my limitations and they're very limited when it becomes to, <laughs> to home, home improvement. Yeah, same. I, I feel the same. <laughs> my wife is the one who is more of a go getter and willing to tackle projects that seem insurmountable. Yes. And, uh, I and don't, she pulls it off. Yeah. I don't want to be the guy that messes with the thermostat in the middle of December and then can't get the heat on. And then I have to to handle that heat. I, I don't. I don't want to put myself in that position. So it's still sitting there. Maybe one of these years I'll I'll install it. But other than that, we're we're a very dumb home in terms of uh, technology. Like my brother goes into like he's talking to his lights. He's talking to every room. Uh, I, no, I don't have time for that. Just flip the light on. All that to say, if you have a smart speaker, you can listen to our show on your smart speaker. Say, hey Alexa or Google. Play 1380 The Fan, and I believe that's all you have to do. Do people still buy smart speakers? I feel like it's kind of, is it still very popular for smart speakers? I mean, people have them. Well, I know they have them. I just didn't know if they're still like flying off the shelves like they used to be. Oh, I, I have no idea. Me neither. No but clue. I don't have a smart speaker. I have dumb speakers. Yes. I thought like the, the, the top of the line technology was like Bluetooth speakers, but that's been surpassed <laughs> because we have a yeah. couple Bluetooth speakers. That's, that's long been surpassed. Yeah. So you, you're behind. the opposite of an early adopter. Yes. I don't, I don't remember what the, the term, like a late arriver. A, 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 a That's not a word. Late, late adopter, I guess. Yeah, I'm just, I'm late to the parties, I guess, <laughs> for that respect. All right, let's get to headlines this morning. First one will be short, quick, and to the point. Aaron Rodgers will not play the rest of this NFL season. Moving As on. As we suspected. <laughs> CJ Stroud. And this will impact the Colts. We'll talk more about this in next hour. But CJ Stroud likely out Sunday against the Browns. So that would make two straight games that he will have missed. He remains in the concussion protocol after he missed Sunday's win over the Titans. So this will be something to monitor down the stretch. They do have Case Keenum, which when we talked about yesterday about capable backups, I think mm-hmm. Case Keenum is a, is a very capable backup. But you don't want to rely on him long term if you're Houston. No. You know what's crazy? Like, I feel like Case Keenum is like pushing... 40 seems like it, it seems it? like he's been in the league forever but he's 35 yeah, he's closer to 40 than uh than i thought i just kept thinking he was like 28 years old but because yeah. <laughs> he's been around for a while yeah no he has uh meanwhile the colts announced a couple of suspensions and you know on surface you're like oh what's with the colts and all these suspensions i i'm not that concerned uh isaiah mckenzie wide receiver uh who did not play uh, I remember he when he was the gem of their free agent uh, class, right? Right. Uh, we'll we'll get to that a bit later this hour. But he is out for the rest of the season as his corner Tony Brown. N- neither of them play. They were, they were healthy scratches Saturday's game against Pittsburgh. So contract detrimental to the team. They'll each lose one hundred ninety thousand five hundred eighty eight dollars in salary. Mm. 
Ouch. Now, do you, do we feel like whatever they did, they did together? Ooh, that's a good question. So I, mean, I, I don't know. They both healthy scratches. Now they're both suspended for the same thing for the same amount of time. I'm just wondering what they did and if they did it as a tandem. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. That's an interesting point because it's not like they're in the same position group or anything. Correct. So I don't know. I, I don't know. But I don't think these are big losses, no. to be honest. No, I don't I mean, think corner, so maybe with the depth at secondary, but as you mentioned, both were healthy scratches last week. Just I, watching the Colts last week, not once did I feel, man, they could really use Tony Brown or Isaiah McKenzie <laughs> out there. Precisely. In the NBA last night, John Morant returned, and boy, did he have himself a night. 34 points, 8 assists, 6 rebounds, including the game-winning layup as time expired. The Grizzlies beat the Pelicans 115-113. to 113. Uh, Memphis has a tough hill to climb as they improve to 7-19, and 19, but I do, obviously I don't think they're going to be in the running to be you know, a top-two seed like last year, but could they make the playoffs after this slow start and getting Jaw back? It had been 235 days since John Moran had played a game in the NBA. I, I really enjoy watching John Morant play. It's off the court where he has to figure things out. Mm-hmm. Hopefully he does, because I think the NBA is better for it when he's out there. And elsewhere in the association, Golden State pulled out a 132-126 overtime win over the Celtics. It featured Trace Jackson Davis having perhaps his best game as a pro to date. 10 points, 13 rebounds, 3 blocks, including one that was absolutely filthy on a Jalen Brown dunk attempt in this game. Uh, So TJD with a huge impact. Steph Curry had 33 at a a key 3 late in OT. Klay Thompson chipped in 24. So the Warriors get a win. They're still a game below 500. You almost wonder if they will benefit now that they don't have the distraction that is J- Draymond Green around the team. Could for it quite actually some time. be addition by subtraction yeah, I, for Golden I, State? I, I mean, fully believe I it could think be. from the jump, I was like, this is a good thing for Golden State. Yeah. It's definitely been a good thing for Trace Jackson Davis, 28 minutes off the bench. And the Golden State Warriors were a plus 25 with him on the floor last night. Very impressive. Very impressive, and for Golden State, they've won three straight, so they're getting things together, and and you know they did lose a game, and I believe their first game out uh, against the Clippers when Draymond Green had been suspended, but maybe they can find some momentum, because they started the year strong, that's the thing, and then just really, really struggled uh, after that, and maybe this suspension is a blessing in disguise. I So far, so good, that's for certain. Steph Curry seems to be playing a little bit more loose and carefree and, you know, maybe actually enjoys playing without having to keep an eye on Draymond Green. (laughs) Yeah, right? Go figure. Uh, Meanwhile, in college football, again, signing day going on now, CJ Carr is officially official at Notre Dame. I mean, he was already taking uh, place in in practice. In fact, made a a throw on the lineman touchdown pass. I don't know if you saw that highlight. No, I didn't. Um, In practice? Yeah, in practice. He's an early enrollee, yes, obviously. Yes, correct. Um, but several other guys are official as well, so the, the recruit's rolling in. But for Indiana, they pulled off perhaps their biggest coup as a program. And we'll get more details on this later in hour number two. But Tyler Cherry, a four-star quarterback, uh, he chose IU and coach Kurt Signetti over Michigan State. He had decommitted from Duke and numerous other 
Power 5 offers, but Tyler Cherry, Center Grove quarterback, going down to Bloomington. And so they now have a crowded quarterback room. Um, you have Rourke, right, the, the transfer from Ohio. You have Taven Jackson coming back. You have Alberto Mendoza, who's a freshman coming in. Tyler Cherry, freshman coming in. And Brock, Brock hard for me to say, Brock Lowry also is. on the roster. So Definitely some pieces at quarterback for Indiana. They've had pieces before and not been able to put them together. So we'll see if this uh, can come together. But I was very impressed when I saw Tyler Cherry play this season a couple times. It's a decent prospect. Pretty solid guy. Uh, quarterback. We'll see if it works out for him in Bloomington. Meanwhile, in college basketball, so we'll get to IU in a second. But first, it was not a good night. for The Notre Dame fighting Irish as they did not look good uh, at home in a blowout loss to the Citadel. Irish lose 65-45. to 45. Notre Dame drops to 4-7 and seven as they go into ACC play. Ugh. Tough start. It, look, we knew it would be tough this season, right? Uh, but losing at home to the Citadel, you don't think, is, is on the bingo card. And to make it worse, Elijah Morgan scored a career-high 19 against the Irish former Irish player uh, in that win. And this was Micah Shrewsbury after the game. And man, I can get behind Shrew after hearing him talk last night. I apologize to anybody that paid money to come watch that, watch that effort from that team. The, the one thing is they at least got to watch one team play hard. I thought Citadel played connected. I thought they played hard. I thought they played with a purpose. And I thought our team was poor in that area. That starts with me. Number one, it starts with me. Taking responsibility. Um, and I got to find a way to get these guys ready to go. This game was over before we even got here. We have no energy to shoot around. We didn't have any energy at practice. That's who this team has been. Like, but you also you have an opportunity, right? You, you try and learn from whatever the last game was. We're building a culture. This is my favorite. And that ain't it. <laughs> that is not the culture we're trying to build. So a message needs to be sent. To some of these guys that, like, if you don't play hard, then you can sit and rot over there on the bench. And I'll, I'll find a way. I'll go and talk to the people in compliance, and I will help you transfer. Because this culture is getting built the right way, and if you ain't a part of it, you're out. Love it. I love it. Love it from Shrewsbury. If you don't play hard, you can go sit and rot on the bench. And basically saying, I don't care how many stars you have. I don't care how good you think you are. If you don't play hard, your ass is on the bench. Period. And for Notre Dame, it's three straight losses. They do have Marist coming up on Friday night, and you hope they can get that one at home, right? Uh, then ACC play starts in earnest uh, December 30th. They take on number 22, Virginia. So for Notre Dame, again, just 0-1 in the ACC, but a long road ahead. And, and you look at the ACC, and I mean, it's kind of unclear. Like, yeah, North Carolina's been a flash in the pan for a bit. Duke was ranked really high to start the season. They've faded. Uh, Virginia's actually come on and played well of late. Miami's had their moments, but it doesn't seem like there's like a super dominant team in the conference, right? Yeah, I'm not I saying agree. Notre Dame's going to compete because they're not. No, not at all. But I'm just saying they may not, you know, be as bad as winning, say, like one ACC game bad. Can they be better than Louisville? That'd be my question. Yes. In the ACC. So we'll see how that plays out. 46862 is the text line number if you have thoughts on IU and the win. Over Moorhead State, let us know. Uh, one quick text I want to get to before we move to that. 
on thermostat chat. CK, Justin, if you have an older house, you probably don't have a C-wire. Despite what some say, you probably need a C-wire for your new thermostat. Yeah, you know what's interesting about that text? Because I, I did actually open the instruction book when I first got it and started and said, okay, if you have a C-wire, flip to like page 82 and that's where you'll start. And I'm like, haha, I don't think I have a C-wire, which means I have 80 pages worth of install. That's when I stopped looking into it. <laughs> like, Because it's pretty easy if you have that. Yes. But it was like it's like if you don't have it, you have to start on page one. If not, flip to page eighty-two. Like, oh, okay. So, uh, yeah, that thing's still sitting there gathering dust. It's never going to happen, right? Probably not ever going to happen. <laughs> at least till we move. Uh, meanwhile, Indiana at Assembly Hall last night hosting Moorhead State, a game you thought, oh, this should be easy. Hoosiers should take care of business. Well, unless you've actually watched all the games this year, you very much know they play to the level of their opponent. And IU able to hang on for a 69 to 68 win. Hoosiers down 11 at halftime after Khalil Ware scoreless in the first half. IU 3 of 9 for the free throw line in the first half. Uh, Moorhead State had a dunk to close out that first half. I mean, it was an emphatic ending for Moorhead State uh, to close it out. But the Hoosiers rally back from a 15 point deficit. Uh, they had a 17-0 run, closed the game 20-4, to outscoring Warhead State, and they somehow hang on for the win. And we'll get to, I think, more about everything that happened surrounding this game next hour, but just focusing on the game itself here. Anthony Walker, a guy who got off to a really slow start for Indiana, was massive in this game, scoring 18 off the bench. Much needed for Indiana last night. They needed somebody to come in and be effective. And Anthony Walker was that. Down 15 with eight and a half to go. And you felt that Indiana was done. And they turned it around largely because Moorhead State stopped making shots. And it wasn't like Indiana was very good defensively because Moorhead State was still getting open looks. They just couldn't knock them down. And that was the biggest reason why Indiana was able to win this game is because Moorhead State went cold. I didn't feel like Indiana did anything, particularly defensively, to change the game on that end of the floor in the final eight and a half minutes. What happened was Moorhead State stopped making shots. Yes, offensively, Mbako was more active. Kalel Ware was more active attacking the basket. They got into the double bonus reasonably early. While they couldn't make free throws, they were able to make enough to close the game with the clock stopped at the free throw line. But man, just when you, this is, this is what you get with Mike Woodson coach teams is when you start to fi- feel, because you come out of Kansas and you say, well, they competed. You said missed opportunity. Yes, it was, but at least they competed. That was my expectation. And then you completely lay an egg against Moorhead state. It's just, uh, it, it once again showed the issues with this program that we'll get deeper into in hour two. But if we look at just this in a, in a, in a bubble last night, uh, it was, it was an escape. Uh, you know, Moorhead state not only had never beaten Indiana has never beaten a big 10 team. I think they're now zero and 27 against big 10 team yet. Indiana trailed by 15 with eight and a half to go and somehow won the game. Basically, everything had to go right for Indiana, and really it just came down to, like you said, Moorhead State just stopped making shots. And Jordan Lathan from Moorhead State was phenomenal, had 30 points in this one, but he went cold late. 
at the wrong time. Oh, he was phenomenal until the final possession for Moorhead State. Yeah. He had the ball with, what, 20 seconds to go, dribbling out 35 feet, 40 feet away from the basket, and basically asked for everybody to clear out. Like, he was going to, like, run a play, run a set. And it was a bad shot. I think it was deflected or blocked. Uh, it was just a bad offensive set. I don't know if that was the call out of the, the timeout for Moorhead State and say, hey, we're going to ISO and Latham's going to go to work because he was very good throughout the, the course of the game, but you just don't like a one-on-one matchup because they were able to break down Indiana uh, offensively time and time and time again in that game. Michael Shrewsbury talked about effort and desire. IU had none of either, particularly in that first half. It was just, it was lackadaisical on the on on the boards in terms of closing out in terms of playing defense it was just a pathetic performance and I, and I hate people that say well that you know the, the the students are it doesn't matter you can play pickup ball over at Lakeside Park and IU should be able to come out with energy they didn't and they almost lost they should have lost IU just 16 of 28 from the free throw line as someone rightfully points out on the text line Purdue beat Moorhead State by 30 earlier this year you are correct also, Moorhead State until the IU game, average margin of victory against you know Power Six conference teams was twenty eight points. Their, their average loss, uh, average margin of loss for for Moorhead State was twenty eight points. But um, I, I don't like the 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 excuses. I don't know if they're excuses, but we, oh, you know Xavier Johnson wasn't out there. All oh, the crowd, you know, the students weren't there. It doesn't matter. IU shouldn't be in a position where they're down fifteen points with less than eight and a half to go at home against Moorhead State. Inexcusable. Another text rolling in at 46862. Mike Woodson, prime example of another college coach who is bad at his job and gets a raise. Players are lazy and disinterested, too. It makes no sense why he got a raise. None. No. It, I mean, talked you talked about it time and time, time again. <laughs> you made the NCAA tournament. Okay. Cool. Yeah, great. <laughs> it's not deserving That's of a million dollar raise. expectations are for Indiana That should now. be deserving of like a small bonus, right? Yes. That's the part I, I don't understand. And, and again, three-point shooting, still a non-factor. They did hit a couple of threes when it mattered between Mbaku and Galloway. But this win avoids a disastrous loss. Unfortunately, it just prolongs the conversation of where's this season going. We'll talk more about that in hour number two. Coming up next, the Colts' suspensions of Tony Brown and Isaiah McKenzie. Eh, not that big of a deal. That's on the other side. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan. And 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. A few other texts rolling in at 46862 on Indiana in the close win over Moorhead State. Big uh, resume builder last night yeah. for the Hoosiers. Uh, someone chiming in. IU definitely changed the way they play. They dominated the boards the last eight minutes. Moorhead State stopped making step back 25-footers. Still a disheartening effort. Yeah, Moorhead State went ice cold when it mattered. They did, and they were getting some good looks. I go back to it. I don't think Indiana turned up the energy significantly on the defensive side of the floor because I thought that Morehead State was still getting the shots they wanted. They just stopped dropping. I will say that Indiana got much more aggressive on the boards, especially offensive rebounding and getting extra opportunities and getting into the double bonus early helped. But 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 the the, the frustrating thing is is that's an Indiana team that could play that way for forty minutes all the time and they don't, and that's on the coach, it's definitely on the coach, and Mike Woodson, if if he took the the Mike or Shrewsbury approach and and really followed through on threats to bench some guys, maybe he would send some 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 messages. But 
Indiana escapes last night and uh, and plenty more on the text line talking about this game. Meanwhile, the Colts will be without two players on Sunday in their game against the Falcons, which we already learned yesterday that Taylor Heineke will take over the starting quarterback duties over Desmond Ritter for the Falcons in this one. Uh, but the Colts have suspended wide receiver Isaiah McKenzie and corner Tony Brown. Uh, McKenzie had already been benched as a returner. I don't know if you caught that in Saturday's game. And with Julius Brents healthy, fingers crossed, Brown not really needed. Yes, the Colts need depth, but I mean, Daryl Baker played and was competent against the Steelers, and that's all you can ask for. Yeah, I just I, I have a hard time buying into this being a big deal. No, I, really. I don't either. Uh, again, healthy scratches against Pittsburgh. McKenzie, as you mentioned, was the Colts' hyped free agent wide receiver signing in the offseason. Right. And he's been outplayed by Josh Downs basically since the opening kickoff of the season. Yeah, Brown has only played 56 snaps all year. 55 of those 56 coming in a start against New Orleans. I mean, he's been big on, on special teams. Um, so he had that forced fumble against Tennessee, I think. But, but by and large, these are big losses, in my opinion. The, the Colts are playing some really good football, and neither one of them has really been in, in the equation for the better part of a couple months. And again, Kondrick detrimental to the team. You don't want those guys around anyway. They're sus- suspended the, the yeah, they rest in, of the regular they season. They doing something. I just, I find it really bizarre, right? That you have two guys, completely different position groups. Like, what were they doing that was so bad? Um, again, nothing's been revealed. Maybe they hit a defenseless Michael Pittman Jr. <laughs> I don't want to go back to yesterday's <laughs> discussion again. <laughs> uh, that, was, that was enough as it was. No, but I don't see this as a big deal for their for the Colts. It's more of a Mackenzie Brown issue than a Colts issue. I don't know what they did. If they were losing two starters, two impact dudes, I think it'd be a bigger story. But for me, uh, it doesn't sound like these guys are locked in anyway. And I think it's not a big deal that they're gone. Meanwhile, Anthony Richardson, halfway through his surgery recovery, he hopes to start throwing again. In January, we'll see. Be nice to get him back out there and prepping for year two. And the hope is, the expectation is that he has a relatively healthy season next year. But as we talked about yesterday, you need that backup quarterback to be ready to step in at any time. Colts did what they needed to do to not just get a, a number one quarterback, but a backup quarterback in the offseason. And it's helped out and now sitting in, can't believe it but in prime playoff position right now. Yeah, I don't, I don't think anyone, again, we, we talk about this all the time, but nobody expected this for this Colts team and the fact that Shane Steichen has done what he's done and with the injury to C.J. Stroud, if, if the Texans struggle down the stretch, Steichen could be coach of the year because I think D'Amico Ryans is probably the top uh, other candidate for that award. I feel like whoever... If, if, if one of those two teams makes the playoffs, that coach will get the nod as coach of the year. But when you look at coming into this week, who Colts fans need to root against, you look at the Bengals. They have to go to Pittsburgh this weekend. And the Buffalo Bills. They'll go out west to take on the Chargers. And then, of course, the Houston Texans will take on Cleveland as well. So and that's the problem, too, because Pittsburgh's sitting at 7-7. Seven and seven, So let's say Cincinnati loses to Pittsburgh. Both of those teams are both in eight and seven. So 
The best thing for the Indianapolis Colts is just keep winning football games, and they'll try to get win number nine this weekend against Atlanta. Do you believe there's a suspension issue with this roster? You run through, you have have Mm. Brown, you have McKenzie, you have Grover Stewart with PEDs, you have Isaiah Rogers Sr. uh, with the uh, gambling along. uh, um, Again, he's now with the Eagles defensive end Rashad Berry, also for for gambling. Uh, Cornerback Chris Lehmans, signed in July, was suspended for violating personal conduct policy from a fight outside of a club during the 2022 Pro Bowl. In Vegas, Al Kadeen Muhammad six game suspension for PEDs as well. Like, are these all isolated incidents, or do you believe there's a bigger picture? No, it's an interesting, interesting topic to bring up because I think initially you say, well, they're all isolated incident incidents. Which, when you put them as collective, there are a lot of them. I mean, seven Colts players since um, the summer. It's a, it's a, it's an interesting topic. It's an interesting point. I don't think there's. It's just bringing guys in that are questionable. You want, you want guys in the locker room and on your team that have all their their personal stuff in order and, and aren't going to step out and do this, that, or the other. That said, it's for a variety of reasons. So I would like to think it's just a trend. I don't think there's a really necessarily an issue with the Colts unless there was a lot going on with similar suspensions or similar yeah like each like there are different groups right you have peds in one group you have gambling gamblers over here conduct and another i'm becoming and and outside they were gambling i don't know (laughs) outside of mckenzie and brown you both get suspended like even the conduct ones are separate incidents but they're all collectively don't look all that good for the indianapolis Colts. so it's an interesting point that you raise i don't think so but there may be others out there that do think so. 46862, the text line number again, 46862. Coming up on the other side, the in-season tournament hangover is real. Uh, the Pacers and Lakers have struggled since that championship game in Vegas. Next here on Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch. Justin Kinney with you. 46862 is how you reach us on the text line. Again, 46862. Just put in CK before your message. If you have thoughts on the Pacers, Indiana, since the in-season tournament, along with the Lakers as well, since that game. Remember, that game didn't count as a win or loss for either team in the NBA standings, nor did the stats count. Uh, but the Pacers and Lakers, a combined 2-7 and seven since that Ooh. championship game in Vegas. Just over, what, about 10 days ago. And both of those wins are by the Lakers, if I want to say. Yeah, the, the Pacers, Pacers haven't have won. won uh, Pacers have lost four straight since that championship game loss, which, again, doesn't count in the standings. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton was actually on the Dan Patrick Show, which you can hear every day from 9 to noon here on 1380 The Fan yesterday, uh, said he expected it was prior to practice. He said, I, I expect a lot of yelling at practice, and rightfully so. Because Pacers coach Rick Carlisle is considering some defensive changes, including a lineup shift in Pacers of the top scoring offense in the league, but also the worst scoring defense. They have to do something different. In fact, this is unbelievable. They're allowing 135.6 points per game over the last five, allowing opponents to shoot nearly 56%. (laughs) It's just just (laughs) insane. It, it the, the balance doesn't work when you're looking at the top offense and one of the worst defenses in the league. 
that's not going to win you a fair amount of basketball games. At one point, the Pacers were 13 to eight, 13 and eight. They were the darling at the time of the NBA. Tyrese Halliburton was getting a bunch of love. Yeah, you lose in the NBA Cup Finals, but look at the Pacers uh, on national television making the most of it. You've lost four straight since then, not counting the Lakers game. is five straight games, and you're looking mediocre at best right now. You still can't stop anybody on the defensive side uh, of the floor, the defensive end of the floor, and now you've slipped back into play-in play contention. Now is the eight seed in the East. It hasn't been a good uh, post-NBA Cup for the Pacers. I think it brings up an interesting question is, does a byproduct of the NBA Cup see teams that maybe shoot their shot in the Cup, which I think we saw the Pacers do, and then when it truly counts, when the games are actually being counted with wins and losses, they don't have it. And, And that's what I see with the Pacers right now. Well, and how much is this like a a motivation factor? They they seem to get up for big games, right? That's not been an issue, and they obviously got up for the in-season tournament games. But just like with the Lakers and, and LeBron, who lost to the Knicks uh, the other night as well, and when they raised their banner, which, I don't know, I, I guess... I, I get that everyone wants to roast them. Like, do we have do we have to like roast everything? Like, is that where we're at? I don't have. A, I don't care. I don't really have a problem with it. Whatever. Yeah, it's just I, kind I don't of care. Kind of weird, but other than that, who cares? But I mean, neither team has played particularly well since this game, and you, you just wonder, like, is it because in a way the NBA set these teams up where oh, you play really well, you give them some motivation, then after it's like oh, okay. You have this not grueling stretch, but more of a, a playoff style stretch, and then you're just back to regular season games in half empty arenas most of the time. I, yeah, I, but is that does that mean anything? Like, but, but that's not on the NBA. I think that's no, on the teams, it's on the, teams. the teams, and the, and the players. Like your professional athletes, so you do need to continue that 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 hype. I, I do think there's a certain part of it that the Pacers aren't sneaking up on anybody anymore. Like that's you true. Could say. And then I also think that it's effort too, particularly on defense. You look at at maybe the only two guys that I've consistently thought play hard consistently defensively are McConnell and Naismith. Those are the only two dudes. Yeah, that and I look at and see even even Halliburton. Oh, he's not a good defender. It. Oh, he half asses it at times. And you can be a really good defender if you at least try. And there's only two guys, in my opinion, in that Pacers roster that I see that are consistently trying defensively is McConnell and Naismith. And another issue for this Pacers team that their best perimeter defender, Andrew Nimhard, has been out for quite some time. He, he missed most of the in-season tournament games, still on the mend after suffering a bone bruise and his right knee back on December 7th. So, again, he's missed all six games since then, including the, the championship game. Um... That's a huge loss for this team. Uh, not just a depth piece, but also you're getting some more defense, and that's desperately what this team needs. You wonder how much of an impact that is having. But you you mentioned Neesmith, and he's a guy that is willing to guard LeBron, Giannis, you know, guys like that, and he does not back down. The Pacers are lucky to have a guy like him on the roster who can come off the bench and be a threat to score 20-plus every night. And I think, too, the frustrating thing is is this is a largely a young roster. They should be able to out-hustle 
teams that are older, right? They're young. They're energetic. They got a lot of guys in their 20s. But you look at at at, uh, at McConnell, I mean, he's north of 30, yet he's the one playing better defense and at least harder than guys like Tyrese Halliburton and players like that. It's just, uh, to me, it's, I mean, Obi Toppin is just a... Uh, just terrible offensively when he's in there. Just um, it, it's it's unacceptable, and I think some real messages need to be sent by Rick Carlisle somehow to get the Pacers. People will point to this five game streak, five game losing streak as a funk, but it's been an entire season problem on the defensive end of the floor. This is nothing new. It just so happens that right now they're not playing well offensively either. No, and. For a team that has to score, you know, 120 plus points every game to even have a chance because their defense is so poor, it, it puts you in a tough, tough spot. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's not a sustainable recipe for success. We can say that at this point. But uh, the Pacers back in action tonight at home against Charlotte. Another uh, game you got to have, right? I mean, you you think you got to beat. Hornets at home, they stink. Can't lose to them, right? Then you get Memphis tomorrow on the road. They're not good. Yeah, but they have jaw back, so. That's true. It's it's hard to really, I, I think the biggest thing is someone points out, they did beat the Detroit Pistons. Everybody does that. That's true. Uh, Detroit, again, with as many wins in Little Caesars Arena this season as the Michigan State Spartans under Tom Izzett, which I, I that has become my favorite stat. It's, uh, it's just so funny. <laughs> Does MSU play any more games? I don't think so. They should. Unfortunately, though. they should. So they can just boost and juice up their win totals at Little Caesars just to, to toy with how bad the Pistons are. But I think when you look <laughs> at the Pacers over the course of 82 games, it's a young roster, reasonably young roster. It should be tapping into that youth and energy and all that stuff to emerge, particularly in the second half of the season, when these other teams that are maybe necessarily older start to wear down. But the Pacers, at times, particularly lately, offensively don't play like they're energized, and defensively hasn't been there all season long. So is it going to take an infusion of outside talent for this Pacers team to understand and get with it defensively? Can Rick Carlisle push the right buttons? Can Tyrese Halliburton push the right buttons and make no mistake. He's part of the problem on the defensive end of the floor. So do you think like this, this group of Pacers can figure it out or is it going to need some outside help? Not necessarily this season, but the off season to turn things around defensively. Well, and again, you, you look to the trade deadline and there's always chatter. The Pacers going after a Pascal Siakam or an OG Ananobi. They apparently tried to go after Ananobi last year at the deadline. So, they will look to try to make a move and move on from Buddy Heald if they can get the right guy. I just don't know if that is possible. Like you you got to find a way to negotiate yeah. down a little bit, and I'm just not sure the Pacers are in a position to be able to do that. But then again, Kevin Pritchard seems to pull these rabbits out of a hat with trades, right? Whether it was getting Victor Oladipo and the Paul George fire sale, right? Uh, getting Demonis Sabonis... Um, also as an additional piece with that trading Sabonis and getting Halliburton who turns into a you know top five, 10 player in the league and Sabonis is paying out. Like that's one where Sabonis was 
he and Turner, like it clearly wasn't working. And at the same time, Halliburton was always going to be behind Deer and Fox. So, like, yes, I, I yeah. Revisionist history. Oh, you know the Pacers robbed the kid, but no, like that's that's not how this played out. They still have De'Aaron Fox. I, I think they're happy with how things worked out. So for the Pacers, they have to find a way to get better defensively. And the trade deadline is is basically the only thing left they can do beyond tweaking the lineup to make that happen this year. I just don't, I don't foresee anybody that the Pacers add all of a sudden enter energizing this team to play defense. It is what it is. It shouldn't need an infusion of somebody outside no. the team currently to say, yeah, we should probably play defense. What's so hard about at least attempting to play defense? That, that's the big thing is it's just no effort at times out of the Pacers. It's almost like we just want to give up points or at least a shot to get the ball back and push the ball back up in transition. And it's almost like if they didn't have to even go down that end of the floor, they wouldn't because they just want to play offense. Is that on the head coach? Is that on the players? Is that on Kevin Pritchard and the makeup of this team? I think we see what this team is capable of, of offensively. And of course, it's an offensive league, but you have to be able to at least defend a little bit to have a shot in the East. 46862, your text line number 46862. A couple other... Uh, Quick notes to get to before the end of the hour. Uh, Notre Dame uh, has hired their new director of football performance. Lauren Landau spent five years with the Denver Broncos, trained pro athletes across the NHL, MLB, UFC, and Olympic sports. First job at the collegiate level, but he worked with Ryan Harris, former Notre Dame, great with the Broncos, also Brady Quinn as well. They had glowing things to say about him in that release. And Tay-Tay Johnson officially a member of Notre Dame is he has signed and he has joined the Irish. So he has signed and he was, I think supposed to have like an official signing thing later this afternoon, but apparently he's like, is that just like for? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think it's uh, all ceremonial type thing this afternoon, but um, you know, Bronte Johnson heading to South Bend and still, Recovering from that shoulder surgery. Last I saw him, arm was still in a sling. I think the expectation, hopefully, is that he is uh, ready for next season um, for Notre Dame, at least in the in the in the summer. So, Tay aside, it's supposed to be a relatively calm signing day for Notre Dame, and not late uh, decommitments like Mar- Marcus Freeman had. Was it last cycle? Last cycle, yeah. Seems to be all 23-ish players for Notre Dame that committed today or were already previously committed will sign today and done no real ads either, unless barring a complete surprise. So things going relatively calm for Notre Dame today so far. And we'll have a special National Signing Day Ryan Walters show coming up tonight. So uh, it'll be a bit delayed. So we have our high school coaches show at 6. We have Purdue-Fort Wayne at Pitt at pregame at 6.45, tip at 7. And then we'll have the Ryan Walter Show National Signing Day Edition coming up at 10.05 this evening here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Boilers doing well in the portal of late. In fact, got a, a former four-star Georgia defensive end who, who left because, well, he's not getting playing time. And maybe the portal is the, the great equalizer for mm. these top programs is guys don't play, they transfer out, and they can't stockpile talent. The Georgias, the Alabamas, and, and so on and so forth. As much. Yes. 
Um, it's, it's a quick fix. It's much easier to load up on talent quicker with the transfer portal for sure. I think we're seeing some uh, names that are intriguing for Purdue in terms of guys that they're getting. I think it's still a little bit concerning that they've had to go this route and the amount of players they've had to bring in because of this being year two. But at the same time, I think you're seeing some some potentially impact guys. I just you always worry about how much you lost, though. Right now, the story is how much you're gaining. But we can't, and I can't lose sight of how much that they've lost in terms of dudes leaving, and, and that to me is still concerning for Purdue. And I think you, I think TJ Sheffield, he ended up uh, Michigan State, right? Um, um, Deion Burks went to Oklahoma. Yeah, which is uh, not too bad. No. Uh, Dominic Moon from Snyder ended up at Western Michigan. I saw that a couple days ago. Um, Dylan Browning is still out there. So I think uh, Garrett Miller, Texas A&M. So some of these guys that are losing other Power 5, big Power 5 programs want them. You're looking at Garrett Miller going to A&M. You're looking at Deion Burks going to Oklahoma. So... I do think these are still issues that Purdue has in terms of being a losing talent and going out the door, but they're doing what they can in the portal to try to offset some of those losses. Coming up on the other side from college football to college basketball, last night's escape, was it due to an off season of errors by Indiana or just a Kansas hangover? That's next as we kick off hour number two. Here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Hour number two, Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on a Wednesday. Caleb Hatch. Justin Kenny, thanks for being with us. 46862 is how you reach us on the text line. Again, 46862. Hoosiers fans, get that text line ready because we're going to dive into not just what happened last night, but really the bigger picture for this Indiana team. Plus, also this hour, the Colts catch a huge break. And Coach Sig, Coach Kurt Signetti, building IU football. Are we buying or selling the hype? Plus, Tom Allen officially has his laning spot. And a Taco Bell tiff between two Taco Bell restaurants in downtown Indy. And a new wrinkle thrown into all of this. <laughs> that literally just came Ooh, out really? about an hour ago. Um, that could make this even more interesting. Um, but yes, we'll have that at the end of the show. Some interesting uh, signing news this morning. Yes. Not local, somewhat local, but interesting nonetheless. Zymerian Lang out of Sarasota, Florida, Cardinal Mooney, mm-hmm. a four-star South Carolina commit, has flipped to Toledo. Whoa. Yes. From the <laughs> SEC to the MAC, he is signed, sealed, delivered to the Rockets of Toledo. I, I saw this... And I thought, well, maybe he's a local Ohio. No, from Sarasota, Florida. Goes from South Carolina and flips his commitment to Toledo. Go to the Rockets. Candleball. Everyone wants to play it, right? <laughs> uh, apparently. Apparently, Zymerian Lang wants to play it. So, good land for the Rockets this morning. Absolutely. That is that is fascinating. Um, so, Indiana, last night. 69-68 win over Moorhead State. It was ugly. The Hoosiers... Use a 17-0 run late, again outscored. Moorhead State 20-4 to close this game after IU fell behind by 15 multiple times in that second half. Moorhead State went ice cold. And 
without Anthony Walker, who is huge off the bench, and the fact that Indiana just finally started rebounding the basketball, um, this would have been a very, very ugly loss. And I think there are a lot of things that you could take away from this game. I think the easy way out is saying, oh, it's just a hangover from the Kansas game. Oh, the students weren't there, but the students weren't at the Kansas game, to be clear. True. The class Very was already point. out. So you could say that, but it's like, it didn't matter for the Kansas game. Uh, you know, you didn't have the, the candy striped, you know, with the crowd, like the Kansas game. Um, in the end, there's no excuses. Yes. For to be down 15 points Correct. in the second half to Moorhead State. The Moorhead State no. at home. Zero. And I think there are a lot of things that built to this. And, so, and some of these are, are connected. So I think the offseason for Indi- Indiana, you can look at several decisions or lack of by Mike Woodson. First thing is he failed to fill that final open scholarship. I don't think we're talking about that enough with his team. IU desperately needs more guards, and he just simply left a scholarship on the table. And I get it. You don't just want to, like, he, he was very clear. He didn't want to just add someone to add someone. I understand that. But you have an open scholarship, and you need more guards. Uh, the depth at guard without Xavier Johnson, who was not a guarantee to be back with the team because of the six-year waiver. And yes, IU got that answer well before the season started. So you at least had some time. But the fact that they didn't get enough guards. And I understand that, oh, well, you had cups and you expected Ja'Kai Newton to maybe be healthy at some point. He's out for the season like this is why you have depth and it was understandable that the first priority was the front court because of losing race Thompson and trace Jackson Davis and several other guys, but they didn't add enough guards and there was an open scholarship. So you can't say there wasn't an opportunity to do so. That's, that's problem number one to me. Well, I think you look at it too. And here's the, here's the big issue. This is what I took out of last night is if Indiana goes forward in the big 10 and wins 12 plus games and finds a way into the tournament, then we're not talking or even thinking about the Moorhead state game anymore. However, the issues that we saw last night against India against Moorhead state have been problems for Indiana throughout the entire season. And they will continue to be problems throughout the course of the season. Lack of depth at guard, Lack of energy for an entire 40 minutes. The inability to shoot the three. Okay? Those three things. Those three things are not going away. You're not all of a sudden adding a player in the backcourt. Even when Xavier Johnson comes back, if he comes back, then you still have a lack of depth there. Okay? It's just being more exposed with Xavier Johnson not there. The lack of energy for a full 40 minutes has been a problem forever for Indiana. There's never been an Indiana team under Mike Woodson that has consistently played hard for 40 minutes. Period. So that's not changing either. And then the lack of the ability to shoot the three, three of 16 last night. That's when I looked at that 15 point deficit with eight and a half to go and said, Indiana is going to have a really tough time because they cannot shoot the three. They cannot score points in bunches. They can't shoot their way back into games no. from outside. Moorhead state shot as, as much credit as people want to give Indiana for winning that game late. I guess you could call it credit. Okay. <laughs> is Moorhead state shot themselves out of the game. Because they were hitting almost everything they were taking, particularly in that first half, as they just went cold, is they started averaging out. They had good looks, good shots that just weren't falling, and Indiana was able to climb back into it and eventually win the game. But the three things that I take out of it, lack of depth, lack of energy, and no three-point shooting, those are issues that were in November. 
They're in December, and they're going to be there in January, February, March as well. Another thing that, <clears throat> excuse me, that, that I look at it for Indiana is he added a guy, and really, I guess you could look at multiple guys because you added a lot of talent, but the questions surrounding their effort and as far as being a, a good teammate, like Khalil Ware answered that call for the most part this season. Last night when it's not a marquee game and it's, you know, you're just trying to get to Christmas break, essentially, zero points in the first half. Yes, he did rally and scored in double figures because IU got him going early on in the second half, which they should have been doing in the first half. Um, and, and yes, I'll give more, I'd say, a little credit defensively for making it tough for Ware in the first half. And then you have Mbako. Same thing, I think he had two points at halftime. Um, two guys, very talented. It just seems to be getting them ready to go and being contributors. Like it's not a not a guarantee as far as the the effort goes. And then you couple that with the fact that again you're still down Xavier Johnson. Gabe Cups is a zero for you offensively. That it just it makes it even more difficult. Um, yes, you could look at it. Well, I was still in first place in the Big Ten at two and zero. They won the game. It wasn't a disaster because they won. And they have another quote-unquote gimme game coming up on Thursday night as well uh, when they host at Assembly Hall. Let's see, they have, what, North Alabama? Yeah, North Alabama on Thursday night. You you got to win these games, and you got to take care of business. But to me, they're always playing down to their to level, or not down, but they're always playing to the level of their opponent. We've seen that this year. Well, they couldn't play up to UConn or Auburn, though. That's true. I think when you look at Indiana, and the biggest thing for me is these issues aren't going away. No. And this is what, and 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 this is where Indiana is because it couldn't take advantage of opportunities in the non-conference. That if it would have lost yesterday, it would have been completely off the NCAA tournament radar as it is right now. Uh, saw yesterday a new bracketology from ESPN come out. Indiana, <laughs> I told you this. Indiana is in the tournament. This bracketology that I saw through ESPN. They've been picked to win the Big Ten tournament, at least in this edition <laughs> of the bra- uh, For the record, IU has never won the Big Ten tournament. No. Ever. They were a 12 seed. This is how low they think of Indiana. They were an AQ winning the Big Ten tournament as a 12, as a 12 seed. So in other words, IU is not even sniffing the tournament right now outside of winning the Big Ten tournament. Last night, a loss would have... All but killed them. Anything less than I think fifteen and five in the Big Ten wouldn't get them in after a loss yesterday. They find a way to pull it out. You know, the glass half full people will say, "Okay, now IU can learn from those lessons." The half glass, the glass half empty people like me are going. The same issues that caused this last night are not going away, and this is what IU is, and it's going to have to deal with it for the rest of the season. At three point shooting. That hasn't changed. Bad free throw shooting. That hasn't changed the selective effort uh, for this team. And, I I mean, best case scenario, and we we keep saying this, and Mike Woodson keeps kind of hinting, and there was a hint on the broadcast last night about Xavier Johnson could be ready in time for Big Ten play on January 3rd. The good news is the boot is off. The boot is off his foot. But he's still got to get on the court and, and start doing things there to be able to be ready to go. It's a it's conditioning at this point as far as him returning. 
that will take some time. But best case scenario, he's back for that Nebraska game. And I mean, you hope he's back and healthy by then, but you also can't rush this because if you don't have him, it just makes the rest of the season nearly impossible. And I think what people don't understand about what happened last night for Indiana, you lose that game to get into the NCAA tournament. Basically, their only shot was to win the Big Ten tournament. Right. Like, again, the non-conference schedule is a zero. You didn't win any of the the tough games you scheduled. That's great that you're scheduling them, but you got to win at least one. And the fact that they didn't win any of those marquee games, because Louisville, unfortunately, doesn't count for anything. Uh, That's a a program that's got to hit reset. But because of that, you have to take care of business against these lesser opponents in the non-conference. I and will say Indiana was lucky to escape last night and they can't afford a loss to any of these teams because again, if they do, you have to win the Big Ten tournament to make the NCAA tournament. I will say Gabe Cups impressed me last night. A plus 13 Indiana was with Gabe Cups on the floor. We know what he isn't, but what he is is a really good energy guy that's going to give a lot of effort, all that stuff. You wish that it was infectious around the 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 team at this point. It's not, but Gabe Cups, we know what he is and we know what he isn't. If he was surrounded by other prolific scorers that could handle the load, he'd be perfect in that lineup. But unfortunately, he's a guy that has to score that position just as much as everybody else, and he just he can't right now. But I do like his energy on the floor. I just wish everybody played with that same energy for Indiana. And I think that's the the other aspect is just the inconsistent effort that we've harped on for quite some time. Hopefully, no issues against North Alabama. Uh, I think they have what? Who do they have after North Alabama like next week? They have like another another Kennesaw State. That's, that's the other team next Friday. So you take care of those two games, then you're at Nebraska uh, with a 9 o'clock tip. Oof, that's going to be fun. Uh <laughs> Uh, on January 3rd. Just got to win these next two games. These are supposed to be gimmies before the start of the the, the rest of the Big Ten season, and you made every Indiana play, or fan last night sweat that game out and uh, somehow, somehow made it happen. But uh, much, much better than a loss, for sure. Is this the game that maybe changes the conversation and narrative around Mike Woodson. Because right now it seems like... With the loss it would have. Yes, but even with how close this was. Because right now it seems like Mike Woodson, oh, he's recruiting these elite guys, and he's cool, and the fan base likes him. But at some point, you got to like win. And for Indiana, just making the NCAA tournament is the bare minimum. And yet he got a million-dollar raise for that. And now you wonder, like... Is there a a way, and yes, Xavier Johnson being healthy transforms this team, don't get me wrong, but is there a way that this team can transform and get better as the season goes on? Because it just feels like they've been stuck in neutral for a while. Well, I think the question is, have we seen previous Indiana teams under Mike Woodson through the first two years get better over the course of the season? And I don't know if that's the case, to be honest. Anytime during the first two years... With Mike Woodson, did you feel that IU was an appreciably better team at the end of the season than they were at the beginning? Neither t- neither year have I said yes. Other people may say yes, but I don't. So, yeah, I mean, it's not like they were like on fire at the end of last season. Um, they did at least 
win what a, a game in the Big Ten tournament. So and then the the season prior, they were I, I would say his first year they were playing their best going into the NCAA tournament because they had to in terms of making the tournament. They had to go on that run in the Big Ten tournament to even get to the Big Dance. Yeah, I just I don't feel like even when they were last year, what started ten and zero. 7-0, I think, before the loss to Rutgers. I think they were 7-0 going into that game. I still felt like... Yeah, 7-0. Were, the, were they any... Did they were, were they get it more appreciable better since that win over North Carolina than they were at the end of the season? Losing to Miami in the tournament. I don't think so. Swept Purdue. Yeah, but I'm saying like I just didn't see any development over the course of the season. I mean, the year before, too. I just don't see it. They started off, what, 5-0, 6-0. Before losing to Syracuse, I think. And then one and done in the day. I just, I haven't seen that progression over the course of a season for Indiana under Mike Woodson. So that's why I keep harping back to the team we saw last night, almost lose to Moorhead State. Outside of adding Xavier Johnson back to the lineup at some point, you hope. How is this team going to be that much different in March that we saw last night? I mean, I think they're a completely different team with him healthy in the lineup. We've seen him be in the lineup and be, you know, laboring, right? As far as what yeah. he can do this year. But I think if he is healthy, yes, I think it transformed this team. But will it be enough? Because the the, the biggest thing I go back to is that Xavier Johnson said earlier this season that, you know, that they just they weren't practicing well, which is concerning when your six year senior goes out and says that. Yes. He can say that because he is one of the leaders of this team. But he's saying that and calling people out for that, that is a red flag. No, I agree. I just, I I, I do agree that IU could be a better, uh, different team. Because you mentioned he, play, he played the UConn game, but he wasn't, he was hurt. Yes. That's really when we first saw it, that he wasn't 100%. So... I, th- I think if you're an IU fan, you can point to that and say a healthy Xavier Johnson, you think this team can be XYZ. I think the question is, though, can Xavier Johnson this season ever be 100%? Well, and if you're a basketball player, I mean, once you get foot injuries, right? The, it's that, kind that's, of a problem. It's pretty tough. It's it's just like an NFL player with back injuries. Yeah, we're going on a month since we've seen Xavier Johnson on the floor, and we it's going on uh, a month and a half since we've seen him healthy on the floor. I just don't know, especially with Mike Woodson's comments that didn't sound necessarily positive that it could be a substantial amount of time for Xavier Johnson it, to come it, back. It's and when seemingly he does, he a, a different healthy? thing every day though, as far as like he was not very positive uh, on his coach's show on Monday night. But then last night in the broadcast, they made it sound like, Oh, the boots off and and then on the broadcast, uh, I think it was Kevin Kugler and, and Bruce Weber on Big Ten Network basically making it sound like, oh, yeah, he, he could be ready to go for the Nebraska game. Yeah. Well, which is it? <laughs> I don't know. We saw last year where it kept seeming to be, oh, is he coming back? And he never did, right? Yeah. I hope just, that's not the case this year. That's the thing, too. So I think if, if Indiana could get Xavier Johnson back, it's still got an uphill climb to the NCAA tournament, but without him. It's very, very steep. Absolutely. Coming up next on the other side, the Colts catch a huge break as the season goes down the stretch. C.J. Stroud injured and 
what it can mean for that Colts and Texans matchup coming up in week 18. Caleb and Kenny in the morning as we roll along here on a Wednesday, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kenny, 46862 is the text line number. Again, 46862. A couple final thoughts on Indiana. Someone texting in. If Xavier Johnson doesn't come back, do you think the NCAA will give him another waiver? I think he'll move on. I would, yeah. I, I mean, you're, you're a seventh year guy. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think you move on at that point. Yeah, I don't think he's, he's going uh, back. And, and IU, as far as where things are at right now, they actually lost three spots in Ken Bomb to number 83. Not ideal. Not going in the right direction. No. They're right in the thick of, let's see, uh, right, right ahead of Louisiana Tech right now in <laughs> Ken Palm as I stare at it right now this morning. So, not good. Uh, meanwhile, Behind Duquesne, by the way. <laughs> wait, wait, seriously? Behind Duquesne. Wow. Yep. And the Bonnies of St. Bonaventure. Got to watch out uh, for those Pittsburgh schools like Duquesne. Yes, right. And, of course, Indiana State, way above them at 49. Oh, yeah, Indiana State is looking quite good so no far joke. this year. Yes. The trees, off to a great, great start. That they are. Uh, the Colts catching perhaps some more breaks as the season winds down the stretch. C.J. Stroud, again, likely going to miss the Week 16 game coming up against the Browns this weekend. Obviously, he already missed the Titans game last week with the concussion. Uh, the Texans have the Titans, then the Colts after that to wrap it up. And again, that Week 18 game, we've we practically circled this game as a flex game as far as win and you're in. Yeah. Potentially. Potentially could be a for, nationally for a wild card game. spot. Yep. Um and for the Texans, I mean, it's not a good sign when they don't have CJ Stroud. So with any other starting quarterback the last three seasons, the Texans are eight, twenty six, and one. Who could forget the one? Uh huh. <laughs> the tie game against the Colts <laughs> start last year. Uh but with Stroud they're seven and six. So you got to keep that in mind as far as how much he has been for this for this franchise already as a rookie. He was on pace to break Andrew Luck's rookie passing record prior to the injury. Going to be a tough hill to climb now, especially if he's for sure going to miss this week. This was a matchup Sunday. We, at the start of the year, you're thinking, oh, wow, Deshaun Watson and C.J. Stroud. And instead, you hit Case Keenum and Joe Flacco. You know, for, for the Colts, when you look at in general over the course of the season, would you say this has been a a lucky year for the Colts and I'm not saying I'm just not to take anything away from them with what they've done but you get Jacksonville out of the way early yeah okay now lately let's look at their schedule with this winning streak you're and that was the unlucky part getting Jacksonville out of the way early well yeah now that now that uh, uh, the portion of of that yeah I'll agree with that but you play Baltimore early you got them out of the way before they really became a power you won on the road but I think you look at lately so you play a Tampa Bay team that has been a cluster uh, you play Cincinnati that, yeah, you get stomped, but you didn't have to play, play Burrow. You didn't have to. Pittsburgh's been beat up. You beat up on them. Uh, Desmond Ritter has been benched. So now you're going to Atlanta with a quarterback being thrust into the lineup. Vegas with Aiden O'Connell. Yes, I knew he to- he torched. Uh, who did he torch? The Chargers. Chargers. Uh, but it's Aiden O'Connell. And then now all of a sudden you have C.J. Stroud. You you hope if you're Houston, he's back with uh, in a couple weeks. It's just a concussion. I say just a concussion. But you never know. And then I see, look at it, look at the roster for the Indianapolis Colts. Largely healthy over the course of the, course of the season. They've lost more guys, in my opinion, to other issues outside of injury. As like Grover Stewart. I look at Minnesota last year, 13-4. and four. 
Minnesota was 11 and 0 last year in games decided by one score. 11 and 0. Eventually those things even out. Minnesota now just 7 and 7. Minnesota had a very very lucky year. Stayed healthy last year. They lose Kirk Cousins this year. They're losing games that are close that they otherwise won last year. Eventually the things even out. I'm wondering with the Indianapolis Colts and going forward regardless of what happens this year is did they return does those things even out next year injuries when you're playing people and maybe a regression of sorts next year i think it'd be easy for people to say well anthony richardson comes in and plays next year they don't get to 10 wins it's on anthony richardson but i don't know if that's necessarily the case because i think a lot of things have gone right for the colts this season i I think they've gone right maybe externally in the sense you mentioned those injuries and you know when you have a lineup change at quarterback going into sunday's game against the falcons it's not going to hurt you right i mean it's probably only going to help you with heineke in desmond ritter out but i mean you could argue jonathan taylor like you have him on the pup list then he comes back plays well then goes out with a a, a thumb injury and then who knows if when he returns this season could he return for the playoffs or the colts make the playoffs you lose him obviously anthony richardson not much more needs to be said about that but i think they've they've made the best of their opportunities i don't know like you, you, you get some breaks and you have some breaks go against you. And I think for the Colts internally, those breaks went against them, but externally they've largely been in their favor. I can't disagree there. And it's not, it's not taking anything away from what the Colts have done, but the NFL comes down to who you play and when you play them and your roster. And it goes both ways, who you play, when you play them and when you're playing other teams. And the Colts, by and large, offensively have had some injury issues. You mentioned Jonathan Taylor, of course, Anthony Richardson. Defensively, that they've stayed healthy for the majority of the season in terms of their impact guys. That's huge. You're not always going to get that. That's kind of what I'm saying is in that respect, Zaire Franklin staying healthy, Julian Blackman, Kenny Moore, DeForest Buckner, uh, EJ Speed. Um, all those guys have, have, have stayed healthy. Uh, Dio Dengbo, healthy. So, Quiddy Pay, largely healthy, right? So you have a lot of things that have gone well for the Indianapolis Colts that could even out at some point next year that would not be any, in any way related to the success or failure of Anthony Richardson. At the very least, the Colts are taking advantage of the opportunities that they've been presented this year because they've been able to put together a solid roster and keep that roster largely intact throughout the season. You look at other play, other teams that have been just gutted by injuries and the Colts have not been that for once, it seems. And they're taking advantage of that. Eight and six, prepping for that game in Atlanta on Sunday. I think when you look at the Colts, I mean, the schedule sets up better compared to the Texans, and the Texans have a lot more working against them now if Stroud does indeed miss the game against the Browns. I think for Indianapolis, I've said this all season, where because of how bad they were last year, Outside of the Baltimore game and the Cincinnati game going into the year in Jacksonville, of course, you thought there are a lot of games on this schedule that are toss ups and a good team will find a way to win just enough to get into the playoffs. A bad team will lose a lot of these toss up games. The Colts, to their credit, have largely won these games. Yes, the loss to the Saints probably should not have happened. Same with the loss to the Browns. But sometimes you, you on the flip side, the winning against the Ravens probably shouldn't have happened either. So they they kind of even each other out in that aspect. No, I get it. 
I, I, do, I do think, though, that the Colts have taken advantage of the opportunities on that schedule and made the most of them. And it's paid off right now being in the playoffs. They get a, a nice visit to sunny Miami if the playoffs started today. Ugh. Hey, for the Colts, at least you're in the playoffs. That's true. That's true. You, you, you got If you get in, you get in. And that's a huge step forward compared to what we saw last season. Coming up on the other side, a huge step forward. That's what a lot of people are thinking is happening in Bloomington. As Coach Kurt Signetti building IU football since taking over the job. Are we buying or selling the hype? We'll discuss next here on Caleb and Kenny in the morning. 1380 The Fan at 100.9 FM. Oh, some boogie wonderland. Yeah. Get down. Get funky with Earth, Wind, and Fire this morning. Caleb and Kenny in the morning. 1380 The Fan. 100.9 FM. FM, Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney with you. And don't forget, you can always stream us, 1380thefan.com, via the 1380 The Fan app or your smart speaker. Those are all free options for you. And if you miss anything on the show, want to get caught up, uh, we have the podcast of the show up each day. Look for it between 10 30, 11 o'clock each and every morning for your listening pleasure. And the text line open for you at 46862. Again, 46862. Just put in CK before your message. And I, I want to debate this because uh, I don't think you're buying the hype. I think I am. And IU coach Kurt Signetti, again, continuing to do drastic work for Indiana in recruiting in the portal in just what, like two weeks on the job, yeah, essentially? A weeks. And I think the, the cherry pun intended, on top for what he's done so far, is landing former Center Grove four-star quarterback Tyler Cherry uh, over Michigan State, a guy who was previously committed to Duke before, not because of Elko leaving, but actually because of the offensive coordinator, I believe Kevin Johns, leaving to go to Duke. Is that correct? Yes. He went to Duke as well with Elko, and that's really what caused Cherry to decommit. It was not Elko. Um, So... That was that was the the key building block. Obviously, he's landed other quarterbacks in the portal and recruiting. They've added at wide receiver. They've added at running back, including getting Trent Holland to come back. Um, they kept some key offensive linemen. He's adding James Madison recruits. He's probably going to clean up in the transfer portal after James Madison's bowl game. Let's not forget about that. IU had a top 25 recruiting class in 2021 under Tom Allen. Obviously, nothing really good came after that. Does this feel different? Are you buying the hype? Or do you think this is just a guy getting low major guys to a Big Ten program? Can it be in the middle? Yeah. I think that's kind of where I'm at. He still has a tremendous amount of work to do. And the recruiting uh, still needs a lot of help. Uh, this is not a team, and I'm, I'm looking at the the rankings this morning. Oh yeah, they're outside the top fifty. Yeah, it's uh, they're they're not where they need to be. I think he's done what he's had to do, and as much as he could do in trying to salvage a class, and in the portal, considering how little time he had. I don't think it's a winning formula to recruit guys that went to James Madison, but. I see that as a stopgap. I, I really, as much as I, I didn't like the hiring of Kurt Signetti, I'm really not going to judge him on year one. I don't think we really judged Ryan Walters that much on year one, although we didn't expect the precipitous drop that we saw out of Purdue. 
because they were the Big Ten West champion. You, you can argue that that's not really much to, to be proud about, but they actually won. They weren't even close this year, so that's regression because it was just as bad of a division. But I think for Kurt Signetti, if you can get some of these guys in, if you can lay the groundwork, and I think this time next year, I think would be a more accurate judge of Kurt Signetti and his ability to lure talent to Bloomington. A full cycle in recruiting, transfer portal. I think there's warning signs with the amount of players that Ryan Walters has lost to the portal. We'll see where Indiana is at this point next year. But by and large, I guess I'm looking at Signetti and saying, I'm giving him a pass because what he's trying to do, he has very little time to do it, and he's trying to do the best he possibly can. I mean, this is a coach who was able to land an offensive lineman transfer from Wisconsin. You got to remember that connection because Bob Bostead is the O-line coach at Indiana, and that was one of the few bright spots for Indiana this past season was the offensive line play. You know, it was. They had a couple guys from Wake Forest, a couple guys from Ohio University, and then Miles Price from Texas Tech, who IU fans are hoping can come in and be a big impact guy uh, in terms of the wide receiver room. But on the recruiting trail, I mean, you land Tyler Cherry, which I think is a good cherry on top, I must say, of your recruiting class, but it's still not where it needs to be. And make no mistake, IU, for the last several years, was able to tout its recruiting classes, but it really didn't mean much. And, and Cherry is not just a, you know, wow, IU got a four-star. It's that he is the highest-ranked quarterback IU has ever landed in the recruiting era, which goes back to roughly 2002. Yeah, to early 2000s, but I just, uh, for Signetti, and as much as I piled on to him for the hire of him, I'm not going to pile on him for necessarily not getting as much in the portal or or recruiting because he had so little time to deal with. But adding Cherry is, uh, is a big deal for the Hoosiers, at least if they can keep him. Because remember, they had, they, they, they brought in Taven Jackson and that didn't work out last year. So he was a four-star guy, you know, obviously a dude that, that transferred from Tennessee in the portal. But stars don't mean much if you can't produce. And we'll see if IU can start producing on the field. But for next year, they have so, so that's the, that was the difference between Ryan Walters and Kurt Signetti is, is Purdue had further to fall than Indiana does. If Indiana's terrible next year. I, I may criticize Kurt Signetti, but overall I'm not looking at it as saying, well, it's a, it's, it, he's the wrong guy. I think he's, I think he was the wrong guy in terms of what they could have gotten, but I'm not going to judge him on year one as much as some people may. You look at Indiana's schedule next year and we, we, we always do the, Oh, can they get to six wins? Right? Well, they have Florida international Western Illinois first two games of the year at UCLA, Charlotte at home, Maryland at home at Northwestern. Hmm. It's manageable. You're you're looking at what, four and two there? Uh, I don't know. I I I cannot sit here and predict wins uh, in December for next year. I just can't. Um, four six eight six two. The text line four six eight six two. Somebody asking about when all the new Big Ten members will be worked into the schedule next year. Next year, Oregon at Purdue. That'll be awesome. You'll get Oregon at Purdue in 2024. And maybe that's something that we kind of skip over is for the for the people that are. IU and Purdue fans sick of, of going to watch Northwestern and, and Minnesota and Michigan State and Illinois, and now all of a sudden you're going to be able to watch USC, Oregon, um, Washington, UCLA. 
Yeah, I mean, Indiana gets Washington at Memorial Stadium October 26th. That'll be fun. A little bit of different, different feel. You won't get to see Michael Penix. That would have no. been interesting. <laughs> yeah. And they obviously go to UCLA in the Rose Bowl. So IU gets to play in the Rose Bowl for the first time since, what, 1968? Uh, <laughs> on Saturday, September 14th. Now, do you... Fast, let's fast forward to next fall. We have some of these games. Are you going to be like, eh, like USC and uh, do they play Indiana next year? Uh, USC does not play Indiana next year. Okay, let's say, um, trying to get a good example for USC. Um, who do they play? Purdue has year? Oregon at Ross Aid Stadium. So let's talk. Let's talk. And next year, twenty twenty three. Yes. So that is the the new twenty twenty four. Excuse me. Sorry. Yeah, for twenty twenty four. That's the new Big Ten team that they get, and and I think it's cool. So IU has two of them: one on the road, and one at home. And then Purdue has Oregon at home. So when let's say Ohio State goes to Oregon next year in October, are you going to be like, "This is cool," or are you going to be like, "I wish the Pac twelve was still a thing"? Because I don't really don't know how I'm going to react. Yeah, uh, I mean it's cool, but then I'll realize, wait, this is a conference game, <laughs> and then I'll right? be confused. Like um, Oregon going to Wisconsin in November next year. I don't know how I'm going to feel about that. Am I going to be like, wow, this is this is pretty sweet? Or the, the novelty, I think, will be nice. It'll overshadow the wow. The Big Ten destroyed a conference for this yeah. matchup to happen in the short term. I don't know if three to four years will be going. Man, I, I still wish the Pac-12 was still around. Who knows what college football looks like in three to four years? But I legitimately don't know how I'll feel when Ohio State plays Oregon in conference play in October next year. I guess we'll see. We shall see indeed. Uh, we'll also maybe get some clarity on this Taco Bell tiff in downtown ah. Indianapolis as soon as Saturday. Ooh. We'll explain what's going on there next as we wrap it up here on Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Wrapping it up here on a Wednesday, Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Just reminiscing on some old... Uh, IU football battles when they beat Oregon in 2004. Yeah, say hey, they they have a one game winning streak over Oregon. They don't, uh, IU has never played UCLA. We did discover that. Yeah, you discovered winsipedia.com, yes. which is uh, you, you could spend a whole day on that. Oh, so. yes I could. I need to <laughs> I need to not. I, I need to not be on there all day so I can actually get stuff done. Uh final story of the day for us today. A Taco Bell tiff in downtown Indianapolis. So this is fascinating because the owner of Circle Center Mall's Taco Bell has asked a Marion County court to block the opening of an anticipated Taco Bell cantina across the street in downtown Indy. And they plan to have that opening on Saturday. Ooh. (laughs) Alfaro Restaurant Group, which operates the Taco Bell in the Mall's food court, filed a lawsuit in Marion County Commercial Court against the fast food chain's franchising company and Flynn Restaurant Group. Uh, for planning to open the cantina. After news, the lawsuit broke on Monday. Flynn announced yesterday morning that the cantina would open to the public at 10.30 a.m. on Saturday. So the cantina, uh, which uses a version of Taco Bell's menu, features alcohol sales, live music, and later operating hours. Uh, The legal complaint uh, claims that it violates the Indiana Deceptive Franchise Practices Act, which deals with franchisor franchisee competition within the state. Um, These buildings would essentially be less than like a 10th of a mile apart. So you have Taco Bell friend, like who doesn't does Taco Bell 
have any control over Taco Bell cantinas. It's my thing. Like, wouldn't Taco Bell say, no, we can't have two franchises that close together? One, one would think, have... because it's bad for business for both. Right. Um, it's also bad for the Taco Bell and the mall, and we'll get to a future impact on that in a bit. But the the lawsuit claims it would rob the Taco Bell in the mall because it's essentially the same food options within the same small geographic area uh, that from the lawsuit and so we'll see what happens on Saturday because that's the grand opening planned and Flynn uh, as far as the Flynn restaurant group um, they are based in California the largest restaurant franchisee in the nation hmm. so they're fighting a battle against one of the big dogs as far as restaurant franchising I know you will not go to either no I'm not a Taco Bell person uh, I say more Taco Bells the better so or the- taco places in general I don't care the opening event will have live music from 8 p.m. to midnight at the Cantina. It'll be the first of its kind in Indiana, open daily from 8 a.m. until 4 a.m. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I mean, that does tap into Taco Bell's yeah. late night uh, traffic. That's for sure. Let alone the fact that a uh, story just came out this morning that Circle Center Mall is going to go through a major change in the coming years as there's a report that the same group that developed Bottle Works in downtown Indy along Mass Ave has, uh, is purchasing Circle Center Mall and will develop it into more of an open-air outdoor mall uh, with several phases uh, planned. I think 2028 is the, the earliest phase for that to open. That'll be fun. Yeah. Open-air, huh? Open-air yeah. mall. We tried it with Jefferson Point, but then people just didn't like walking around, so now they have <laughs> yeah, parking right. spots all over the damn place, which is just terrible. I I still don't like it. No. I mean, God forbid you actually have to get out of your car and walk around right. more than 15 feet into a store. <laughs> but, you know, I digress. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, so we'll see what we'll see what happens Saturday, because uh, we, we which, could have... Which one are you going to go to? Yeah, who, which, who knows? which Taco we'll Bell is going to get people's business? Yeah, we'll see. That wraps it up for us. For Justin Kinney, I'm Caleb Hatch. Dan Patrick up next. The Herd with Colin Coward coming up at noon. Indiana Sports Beat with Jim Coyle from 3 to 4. And the Sports Rush with John Nolan filling in today from 4 to 6 here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.